Well, now is the time uh, we have the privilege to look to God's Word. We believe that God speaks to His people today through His Word, the, the written scriptures that Jesus, Jesus promised He would leave to us, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, without error, totally authoritative, relevant to every area of our life. Everything we need to know that God wants us to know is found in Scripture. So now is our time in the Word, and we're, we're going through the book of Ephesians. So I'd invite all of you to get out of Bible. If you need a Bible, we have Bibles. Raise your hand if you need a Bible, and we'll get one of those to you. And we need a Bible back there. Gene, to your left. And um, inside of your bulletin, there's a handout there. If you want to follow along there, that shows the roadmap of where we're going today. And you'll see that the topic at hand is Ephesians 5.22. Since we started the church, or since God started the church, been going through the book of Ephesians, starting in chapter 1, verse 1, making our way through a section at a time, see what we might learn about the basics of the Christian life and the basics of a church. And now we get to a very important part of the epistle, a very practical and relevant part for all of us, because it's about family life, how to live in a family in a godly way, in a way that pleases God, and just about everybody in here is a part of a family, either directly or in an extended manner. So there's direct relevance in this entire section for every person here. So it goes, if you look in your Bible, Ephesians 5.22 starts talking about wives and their role to their husbands. Then it talks about husbands in verse 25. Then it talks about children in chapter 6, verse 1. talks about parents in chapter 6, verse 4. And then other personal relationships there, 5 and following. So we're going to have an extended series, just so you know, the next several weeks on godly living in the home. Christian living in the home, if you will. Very important. I was talking to the children's church lady, and I agree that in light of what we're going to be talking about here for the next several weeks, that these are direct imperatives and injunctions and teachings for families, including children, that we should have our children here as well. So uh, that's what I'm proposing, that while we're doing this series, that uh, we're going to put a children's church on a hiatus for a little bit until we finish this series, especially when we get to that verse, chapter 6, verse 1. I mean, there's a whole sermon there that is addressed for children. They should be in here listening to it instead of in children's church, not listening to it. Right here. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. (laughs) So let's go ahead and look at it. Today, I have the daunting task of verse 22. With fear and intrepidation. I've been in prayer and meditation all week long. goes through 24. Let's read this as we begin this section. The first section on Christian living in the home. Paul says, picking up at verse 22, Wives, be subject to your own husbands. Some translations might say, Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be subject to their husbands in everything. Wow. You know, in this day and age, that's, that is a radical concept. Controversial, if you will. There's a parallel passage in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3, that has this little phrase. It says that the head of the wife is her husband. Imagine that. The head of her wife is her husband, is what the Bible says, what God said through Paul 2,000 years ago. This is a comment I made on that. This is what God said 2,000 years ago about the hierarchy of marriage. In America today, such a notion is considered 
Neanderthalian. You know, those were cavemen. Old concept, outdated. Archaic, misogynistic. Misogynistic, that's a misogynist is somebody who hates women. Chauvinistic, politically incorrect, and even immoral. Such a concept. It's what the world would say to us today. But God has not changed his mind. He invented marriage. He did. God invented it. He created marriage. And he knows how it functions best. God made the rules and the roles of a healthy marriage. His truth stands. And the key is properly understanding what God meant when he made this decree that we find in Ephesians 5, 22 and 24. And the main imperative in this section is wives. And Paul's talking, by the way, to Christian wives for the most part at the church in Ephesus. So the primary audience, audience is Christian wives, believing women. And their main imperative, be subject to your own husband. Be submissive to your own husband. And we're going to talk about that. We're going to hopefully spend most of our time uh, on that truth. But before we do, I did want to do some introduction and lay the groundwork there because we absolutely need to. It's imperative. But before I do, I want to re read this last week that I read from a Bible, an experienced, godly Bible counselor and primarily a pastor and Bible teacher for years, over 50 years. And now he's almost, I think he's in his early 80s, one of my favorite Bible teachers and biblical counselors. He wrote a book on... Uh, Christian family living. He has counseled married couples for years, five decades. He knows what he's talking about. And here is his conclusion in retrospect regarding Christian married couples. He says, The notion that the Christian home is a perfect or near-perfect place is decidedly not biblical. If you think that, get it out of your mind. That's what he's saying. The parents in the home fail. They often fail miserably. Kids, are you listening? To what this wise man has to say. They fail one another. They fail their children. And they certainly fail God. The children fail too. Husbands and wives quarrel. Get irritated with one another. And sometimes have serious misunderstandings. Of course there are accomplishments too. But the point that I want to make. Is that conditions frequently are far from ideal. That is the realistic picture of a truly Christian Home, And then he goes on to say, well, then what's the difference between a believing home and an unbelieving home? And he says, legitimately so, that it's not whether you're going to have arguments, fights, trials, and sin in your life. It's how you deal with that sin, how you deal with those trials, how you deal with those arguments. Do you deal with it in a Christ-like manner or not? Forgiving one another, being patient with one another, reconciling with one another. So that's just a good practical reminder of our mindset. We need to be realistic when we're thinking about Christian living in the home. Uh, now let's go back. Now I want to take you to uh, the handout there, and we're going to look at some preliminary principles leading up to this main passage of Ephesians 5.22. So look with me in your handout there on what I call the submissive wife. That's just the main truth that we're talking about today as Paul commands Christian wives. In Ephesians 5.22 through 24, Paul lays out the main obligation of a Christian wife that she should have towards her husband if she wants to have a healthy, fulfilled, God-blessed marriage. What is it? What is the key? Submission. And I just ask every woman that is here and every woman that is a Christian, every Christian wife in this chapel this morning, do you want to have a healthy marriage? Do you want to be fulfilled in your life? Well, hopefully you're saying yes. Well, then listen to what God says. He invented marriage. He created it. There's one priority of everything that Paul could have said about marriage. He distills it down to one thing. Or God does. That's the beauty of the Bible. And everything 
uh, in chapters 5 and 6 about the family. As he talks to key uh, people, wives, husbands, parents, children, he distills it down to one key fundamental truth that you need to apply on a regular basis in your life. It is not complicated. Don't make it overly complicated. We tend to do that as human beings, don't we? It's simple. I've done plenty of marriage counseling, believe it or not, over the years. Formerly as a pastor. And, and usually, uh, when somebody comes to see you for marriage counseling, it's usually uh, they've gone a long time with problems and now they're getting desperate. That's why they come see me. They're getting desperate. Well, it's Fred McManus. See what he says. But uh, marriage counseling, is, it's a trial. Uh, but in Christian couples who I have counseled in marriage, there are some common denominators and themes that have arisen over the years. And one of the most common themes is when I'm talking to the wife, one of the first questions that I ask her is, as, as a Christian woman, what is your main responsibility or priority in your life in terms of your attitude towards your husband? Sometimes they get it right and sometimes they don't. Every once in a while they say, um, I need to submit to him. Or they'll say, I need to submit to him. Seriously. Some Christian women, they didn't know. They couldn't give me the right answer. And when I opened Ephesians 5 and 1 Peter 3 and showed them, they freaked out. Some They couldn't handle it. You're kidding me! No way, I'm not doing that. I've had Christian women say that to me. I'm not doing that. Uh-uh. And I've had many Christian women say, he doesn't deserve my respect. He doesn't deserve my submission. He has to earn it. Christian women saying that. That is a huge red flag. Hence the importance of this passage as Paul is talking to Christian wives. Paul, Paul doesn't assume anything. It is not common sense. It is not natural to think this way, to implement this simple principle. This is a decree from God for a specific reason. This is God's design. Priority number one for you, if you are married and you are a woman, priority number one in your life towards your husband is to be submissive to him, whatever that means, and we'll define it later on. Like I said Many times the problem is women, they just don't know what their main responsibility is. One thing that I appreciate, I was going through Chuck Swindoll's. He's got an old book called Strike the Original Match, and it's written for couples who, have, who are Christians who have been married for a long time who need to go back and start all over and remember the fundamentals of marriage. And in the beginning of the book, uh, he points out, we all need a refresher course as husbands and wives who have been married for a while. But one thing that Chuck Swindoll has, and he's a good pastor, faithful Bible counselor, Bible teacher for years. He's been married for over 40 years. He knows what he's talking about. He knows what God's Word says. And he distills it down to this thing, talking to Christian wives who are having problems in their marriage with their Christian husbands, is he says a tendency of Christian women many times is they make it too complicated. They're looking for all these secret uh, panaceas and solutions to the problem, and they're missing the simple solution that God has given. Wife, submit to your husband. That's what Chuck Swindoll says. But the tendency of many wives is they want to drag their husband by the hand and, and run off to all kinds of counselors and psychotherapists and, uh, and, and medication and books and books and tapes and tapes. And that's what the scenario he's painting is saying, no, 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 no. You're missing the boat. Go back to the fundamentals. And that's the beauty of this passage, the simplicity of it. So let's go ahead and look at it. And by the way, some of you might ask you, well, why are you picking on wives today? Well, because that's where we are in the book of Ephesians. And then next week we'll pick on husbands because that's verse 25. So we're just going through the book of Ephesians. So there's no personal agenda or vendetta here at all on my part. Just because this happens to be one of my favorite verses in the Bible, you know, that has nothing to do with it. And when I proposed to my wife, I said I wanted to do a 10-week series on this verse. You know, that has nothing to do with it. I'm just dealing with it because it's right here in the text. So let's go ahead and look at it. How to be a submissive wife that honors God. 
Point number one, in the beginning, we need to understand, we talked a little bit about this last week, that God designed all human relationships to function based on authority and submission. Every human relationship that you are in functions on that principle. That is based on God himself and the order that he has created. 1 Corinthians 11.3, Paul says, I want you to understand, Christian, that Christ is the head of every man. Here's a hierarchy, a divine established hierarchy by God. And that the man, in the context, is the husband is the head of his wife or the woman. This is a divine hierarchy of authority and submission. And God is the head of Christ. Boy, that, that is the foundational principle right there. That's talking about God the Father is the head of Christ. Husband is the head of the wife in the same way that God the Father is the head of Christ. Okay, now, is Jesus Christ inferior to God the Father? Absolutely not. They are totally equal in terms of their essence, being, nature. Jesus is just as eternal with the Father. They are deity. But this is talking about a functional difference, and we're going to get to that. That when Jesus came down, after Jesus and God the Father and the Holy Spirit created the world, and the world fell into sin, Jesus came down to earth and took on a specific role. That's what this is talking about, Jesus' role. Not His inherent value with the Father, but His role that He functions as Savior of mankind. God the Father is the head of Christ. That's the authority and submission principle. Romans 13.1 says, There is no authority except from God, and those authorities which exist are established by God. Every authority on planet Earth was established by God. There's all, every aspect of society functions on authority and submission, whether you're an employee or an employer, whether you uh, have, are a piano player and you have a piano teacher. Your piano teacher is your authority. If you're on a sports league, your referee and the coach, those are the authorities. The commissioner of the league is the authority. In politics... There are established leaders. The policeman is the authority when you're driving on the road. Every relationship in human life, the family, the church, that's the way God ordered things. God is a God of order. So there has to be authority and submission in every area, every venue of life. And we're all subject to it. We can't escape it. It's based on the very character of God. So important principle number two, men and women have equal moral and spiritual value before God. Even though there, are, there is a hierarchy structure, that has, this has nothing to do with inherent worth or intrinsic value of us as human beings. Men and women have equal spiritual and moral value before God himself. Uh, Genesis 1.27, when God decided to create humanity, he said, in the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Women are made in the image of God just as much as men are. Totally equal, made in the image of God. Every woman is just as valuable in God's eyes as any man. Every girl is just as valuable as any boy. That's what, what this is talking about. Inherent worth is what we're talking about. Dignity, value before God as a human being. 1 Corinthians 11, 11. In the Lord, spiritually speaking, neither is woman independent of man nor is man independent of woman. Before God. Your status before God. Totally equal. Galatians 3.28, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, spiritually speaking. That's all it's talking about. 1 Peter 3.7. Even in talking, even after just finishing a discussion and in the midst of a discussion about different functions and roles between husband and wife, and the husband is the head, and the wife is to follow, and the wife is to submit, even in that context, Paul, Peter acknowledges this truth of their equal inherent value before God when he says, husbands and wives are fellow heirs, joint heirs in the grace of life before God Almighty. So, important principle. Men and women have equal moral and spiritual value before God. Number three, men and women have different roles and functions in marriage and family. Complementary principle here. 
equal worth before God, but in the way we function in society, the way we function in the marriage, we have designated roles. It doesn't mean we are inferior. We just have a different role to fulfill. It's very simple. Don't make it complicated like the world wants to do and distort what we're talking about. And they're trying to make men and women equal in all areas and all ways. That is not true. Men and women are different. And some people in the world, they don't want to accept that. Feminism has even crept into the church and they want to deny that, that men and women are different. Men and women are different in many ways. Women have babies. Seriously, I didn't make that up. I mean, that's just one example that men and women are different. That's how simple it is. So this is what we're talking about. We're talking about different roles, different functions. Again, I go back to that sports illustration. you got 11 guys on a football team out on the offense, and they have different roles, different designated roles, so they can function together as a team in the right manner. And you need somebody in charge. Somebody needs to be the head. That's called the quarterback in the football team. Is the quarterback more important than the center? No. Is he more important than the blocker? No. They're all equally important. Does he have a different role and function? Yes. Is he the head? Yes. Is he in charge? Yes. Is he setting direction? Yes. Is he the overseer? Yes. Is he responsible when the team messes up? Yes. He gets the blame. So that's what we're talking about. A different role, a different function. Very simple. Um, so men and women have different roles created by God. 1 Corinthians 11.3, man is the head of a woman. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that he's more important than a woman. So don't allow people to just twist the scriptures of what it means. That the, the husband is the head of the wife means that the husband, he is the leader. He is the quarterback. He is the point man. He's the general on the field. He is the provider. He is the protector. He is the servant of his wife and his family. That's what it means. Genesis 2.18 Regarding these functions that God created between men and women, God created Adam and then He said, it is not good for Adam, the man, to be alone. I'm going to make him a helper, a suitable helper. So God created Eve to complement the head of the home, Adam, with a wife. Perfect complement. They weren't the same. They weren't identical and equal in every way. Functionally, 1 Corinthians 11, 8 and 9. Man does not originate from woman, but woman originated from man. Literally, historically, chronologically, in terms of creation. Adam was created first. Eve was created second. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake. The woman was created for the man's sake. That's not a bad statement. That's a good statement. Adam was alone. He needed a partner. He needed a perfect complement. So God created the perfect complement, Eve. And Eve was excited when she was created and saw her husband for the first time. And Adam was totally fulfilled when he met his wife for the first time. So it was a good thing. 1 Timothy 2.14, Paul says, For it was Adam who was first created and then Eve. Again, noting these distinctions. These distinctions and functional roles that God has given us in this life are based on creation itself. And literally, Adam and Eve and how they were created in their roles. Let's go on to point number four. The first marriage was created in perfection. Imagine that. Can you imagine what it would be like to be involved in a perfect marriage? I can't because it's not possible. Not in this life. But it was for Adam and Eve before the fall. And God created Adam and Eve, and after that, God looked down and He said, as He looked at the first marriage before Adam and Eve ever sinned, and He said, it was very good, perfect without sin. Adam, Eve, husband, wife, never arguing, never sinning, perfect synergy, functioning beautifully together, glorifying God, totally fulfilled in their relationship, and then sin entered and messed everything up. Genesis 2.25 uh, on their wedding day that says the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. There was no shame, no guilt, no sin, perfect, total harmony before God. So Adam was functioning as a perfect head and Eve as a perfect complement to her husband. Then we had the problem. So let's go ahead and look at that. The problem, number five. 
What happened? How did marriage get all messed up? Sin. Sin entered the world, and we saw that in Genesis 3. But if you want to flip your Bible to Genesis 3 to look at one verse that I want to highlight, how everything got messed up. So Adam and Eve, they disobeyed, and as a result, God cursed them. God punished Adam and Eve. God punished everybody that was involved in that first sin. God punished literally the animal, the snake. God punished Satan who was inside the snake. God punished Adam for her part in the sin, and God punished Eve. Sorry, God punished Adam for his part in the sin, and God punished Eve for her part in the sin. And the punishments, or the curse, that was given in Genesis 3, starting at verse 14, going up through the end of verse 19, God cursed everything, and as a result, these consequences are still applicable today. These are why we have problems in life. Why do we have divorce today? Why do we have couples that fight with each other? Why do we have couples that hate each other? Why do we have couples that abuse one another? Married couples. Children, you might be asking, why do my parents argue? Why do my parents fight? The answer is right here in the Bible. It's amazing. And the answer very specifically. Let's look at the answer. How did everything get messed up? So God punished the serpent in verse 14. Or the, yeah, the actual animal. And then verse 15, God punished Satan and he said, I will put enmity or hatred between you, Satan, and the woman Eve, and between your offspring, Satan, and between her descendants. He shall bruise you on the head, you shall bruise him on the heel. Now here's the curse on the woman, on Eve, because of her involvement in sin. Verse 16, to the woman or to Eve, God said, here's some of your consequences because of your sin and disobedience. I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. Did you know that before the sin, Adam was going to, I mean, Eve was going to have, she was going to get pregnant and have a baby. Eve was. And according to this, she wasn't going to have any pain in childbirth. But now women have pain in childbirth. Why? Is it a freak of evolution? No. It is a curse from God. Adam and Eve were real people. This is a real historical event. This is a reminder from God that sin has troubled the world. We need a Savior named Jesus. So here's the curse. It was a multiple curse that God put on Eve. You're going to have pain in childbirth. Notice this. In pain you shall bring forth children. In pain. The process of childbirth is going to be painful. Isn't it? I don't know because I'm not a woman. But I heard about it. It's a nine-month process. You're putting on weight. Everything gets heavy. It hurts your back. It hurts your feet. And you're just... Apparently the whole thing is painful. It's part of the curse. But he goes on in the curse. Look at this. Another curse. Not only will you be cursed in relation to bringing your children into the world, another curse is going to be between you and your husband. It's a twofold curse. Look at the middle of verse 16. Your, yet your desire shall be for your husband. That word for desire, that is not a good word. It doesn't mean sexual desire or that he's going to appeal to you or you're going to like... This is a curse. Everything in here from 14 to 19 is bad, negative, a curse, satanic. Punishment from God as a result of sin. Your desire shall be for your husband. The word for desire is a specific Hebrew word. You don't need to remember this. Teshuka. It's the same word, exact same word used in Genesis 4-7. Look there. Flip over. Genesis 4-7. Cain murders his brother in cold blood. God is going to hold Cain accountable for his murder. God is rebuking Cain for his murder. Or actually cautioning him. Yeah, boy, Cain, you're getting, you're getting angry. You're going to do something bad. You're going to do something evil. You're going to do something wicked. So God's talking to Cain, verse 7. He says, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. That word for desire, exact same word, almost the exact same context. It is evil. It is negative. It is wicked. It is damaging. The word desire, same Hebrew word. 
Sin is crouching and wants to attack you. Go back to Genesis 3.16. That's the context. Your desire shall be for your husband. Literally, the word desire here mean, can mean compel or impel or urge or literally seek control over to use, usurp and take the authority that doesn't belong to you. That's what it's talking about. Your desire, your illegitimate desire now shall be for your husband. You will have an illegitimate, sinful lustful, usurping desire to take over the reins of control and headship in your marriage in relation to your husband. There are going to be times where you don't want him to be the head anymore. You want to take charge. That is the curse. Second part of that curse in marriage. So your illegitimate desire now is going to be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Another very specific Hebrew word. Again, this is not good. The word rule here is not good. This is a curse. This is a bad thing. This was not originally true of Adam and Eve. The same, uh, the same word in English, rule, look at Genesis 1.28. Before sin, God blessed Adam and Eve. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue it. Be God's vice regents over His creation on His behalf. Rule on His behalf. Subdue the earth. And then he goes on and he says, and rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky. Rule. That's a different Hebrew word for rule there. So you've got a word for rule in verse one or verse 28 of chapter 1 and then a different word for rule in chapter 3, verse 16. Totally different words, totally different meanings, totally different nuances. The word for rule in Genesis 1, 18 or 28 is a good thing. That was by God's design before sin. The word for rule in chapter 3, verse 16, it is a bad thing. It is result of curse of the curse, and it is going to infringe upon the marriage relationship. So it says, your desire now because of sin, sin sin now lives in you, Eve. Sin now lives in Adam. Sin is going to live from the time of conception in every person that will ever be born in humanity except for the Messiah Himself. And as a result, your life is going to be filled with sin. And as a result, your marriage that God created to be good is going to be polluted. It's going to be subjected to the curse of sin. And part of that sin is that you and your husband, you know what, you're going to have problems getting along and relating and being harmonious and being one and being forgiving and just getting along. And you're going to be at each other's throat because of sin. That's going to be the natural inclination of married people. Without God's grace and God's help, that will be the natural path. That's why we have one divorce out of every two marriages here in America. And you know what the trend is, and it has been for the last 10 years, is people just, they're not getting married anymore. Forget that. That's one reason why some divorce statistics, it looks like they're going down because people have just abandoned marriage altogether. And more and more people, they're just living together or having escapades or whatever on the side. So that's why marriage is all messed up. It's right here, it was cursed because of sinful people. Your illegitimate usurping desire is going to be to control your husband who is the rightful head of your home. And in return, his sinful inclination is, is that he's going to rule over you. Like I said, that word for rule is illegitimate. This is not talking about biblical headship over the wife. This means that man, the husband, is going to abuse or neglect his role as the head of his home. He's going to rule in an illegitimate way. He's going to rule by force. He's going to rule in anger. He's going to rule out of sin. That's going to be a natural inclination and tendency of a husband. Or he's going to forfeit his responsibility to rule the right way. That's what it's talking about. So marriage is under siege from sin. 
every marriage. We're all, none of us are exempt. Every one of our marriages, like I said last week, is dysfunctional to one degree or another because you've got two sinners living together under the curse of Genesis 3.16. So children, hope you were listening this morning. If you ever see mommy and daddy disagree, that doesn't happen in our house, by the way, but the rest of you, <laughs> just kidding. Why are mommy and daddy arguing? Why are they mad at each other? Why aren't they talking to each other? Why are they raising their voices? Why are they acting this way? Why are they being unforgiving? Why are they say they're Christians at church and then they're not so Christian-y at home? Because of sin, because of the curse. And children, someday you will grow up and the likelihood is that most of you will get married and you know what? You're going to have to contend with the same thing. So this is good preparation for marriage. To know you are going to need God's grace, God's plan, God's mercy. You can even start praying for a godly spouse that God will perfectly equip you with in the future to help you have a healthy, fulfilled, God-honoring marriage. Because you can't do it on, our, on your own. We can't do it on our, on our own. None of us can. So sin created a problem and messed everything up. So we've got a curse on our marriages. God cursed marriage after the fall. That was number five. God cursed marriage after the fall. Uh, go on to number six. So here's the state today. Here's the miserable, terrible state of marriages today as a result of the curse. Number six, the natural sinful human tendency in marriage today for the woman or the wife typically will be her propensity to de defy her husband's leadership and to usurp his God-ordained authority. And I just put two typical comments. I don't respect you. That may be her very words. That may be her attitude. That may be her actions. She may do it actively. She may do it passively, depending upon the wife's personality. Some wives are very outgoing, micromanagers, very vocal, very deliberate, in your face, very aggressive, very verbal. And you know they are doing this. But there are also wives who are very quiet, very reserved, very passive, but can still have this very sinful issue they're dealing with. We, some psychologists call it passive-aggressive behavior. Same thing. It's just manifesting the same core tendency based on the curse. You've got the wrong attitude about the husband God has given you. And either verbally you say it or you act like it or you think it in your mind. I don't respect you like I've had many wives, Christian wives, tell me in counseling, I don't respect my husband. He doesn't deserve my respect. He's going to have to earn it. By the way, when a Christian woman says that about her husband, like she is either ignorant of God's truth or if she does know it and still says that, she's being very carnal, sinful, and immature. And we've, you know, that's why we've got to go to the Word and remind our sister in Christ, no, here's God's mandate. I know you feel that way. That's the problem, isn't it? Those emotions. Well, you don't know him. He's a jerk. I've heard that many times. All I can say is, yeah, he probably is at times. We all are. But we have to get past our emotions to get to the truth, to get to God's mandate so that healing and growth can begin in the marriage relationship. Know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's what Jesus said. Know the truth, the biblical truth, and the truth will set you free. God can heal a marriage. I've seen people, I've seen Christians get divorced and then remarried again. Seriously. Personally. I've seen it happen. I've seen Christians on the verge of divorce or even separated and get back together again. I've seen God do miracles. Not every time, but I've seen it happen. Enough to know that if you just follow the basic biblical principles, humble yourself before God, He can do a, a miraculous work in, in your marriage. So some of these attitudes, I don't respect you or I won't submit to you. I will not. I don't care what God says. I don't, want the Bible. I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care what your role is. I don't want to submit to you. You don't deserve it. I don't respect you. 
So that's the attitude. Number seven, well, the natural sinful human tendency in marriage today for the man or the husband will be either to abandon his leadership role, negligence. That happens all the time, doesn't it? Deadbeat dads. They bail on their responsibilities, either in terms of being the provider and the protector and the nurturer, as he's commanded, or literally they bail by leaving home and neglecting their family. Um, so that will be, a, he's abandoning his, that's that ruling factor. He's abandoning his proper role of ruling the home. For the man will either be uh, to abandon his leadership role or to abuse his God-ordained authority with an iron fist. That's why you have so many abusive husbands. Most of the time when somebody's getting beaten and battered in the home, typically it's not the husband. That does happen on rare occasions. But typically it is the man. Because God has made the man as the leader in the home, the Lord of the home, the Lord with the small l, according to 1 Peter 3. The master of the home, the one in charge, the one with strength, the one with delegated authority, the one with power. And what does a sinful person do? Abuses all of that power and responsibilities that God has given him to the point where he can just be downright, instead of a servant to his wife, he can be an abuser of his wife. Abusing his God-given role as being the head and the leader of the home. And so two responses uh, might be of a sinful husband, or I'm out of here, neglecting his proper biblical role, or he might decide might makes right. I run the show and commands his wife around, and she's nothing but a doormat, and the wife has absolutely no say in the marriage or any decisions whatsoever. I've seen very controlling husbands, even Christian husbands, who've tried to do the same thing, not understanding what submit means. And we're going to talk about that right now. Let's go to number eight, what I call the solution to all of these problems so that we can have God-honoring marriages. And that's Ephesians 5, 22 to 24. Three principles that I came up with. Uh, let's go ahead and look at it. The first one is if you want a solution to the sin that's encroached in every one of our homes, let's do what God says. For the wives, here's your mandate. The mandate for submission is wives be subject to your own husbands. Ephesians 5.22 and a Colossians, a parallel passage, wives be subject to your own husbands. And some translations say wives submit to your own husbands. 1 Peter 3, parallel passage that Peter writes, you wives be submissive, not to every man, as to your own husband, he says. Be submissive to your husband. So that, in order that, for the purpose of, so that the result will be that if any of your husbands are disobedient to the word. That's one thing I get in biblical counseling sometimes. Ask a Christian wife, what's your main responsibility? Uh, Submit to my husband or respect him. But I don't. He doesn't deliver my respect. Why not? Because he's sinful. He's doing something stupid. Well, according to 1 Peter 3, you know what? It doesn't matter if your husband is being sinful. It doesn't even matter if your husband is not a Christian. If you are a Christian wife living with your husband, according to 1 Peter 3. Because it says, wives, submit to your own husbands so that if any of them are disobedient to the word, you submit to your husband even if he's disobedient, generally speaking. All that means is submit to his leadership. He's the head of the home, even if he's not a Christian. So that they may be one. You're trying to win your husband over out of your behavior and your attitude and your words or your lack of words. It's by your behavior. You're trying to win your husband over. Your sinful Christian husband or your unsaved husband. And you're winning him over by your godly heart and attitude and your behavior, not your words. Your words aren't going to win him over. Putting John 3.16 stickers on his beer cans, that's not going to win him over. It's not your constant nagging words that are going to win him over. It's the Spirit of God, your godly behavior. Peter goes on. It's the behavior. He will be one without a word, but by the behavior of the wives. As the husband, the sinful husband, observes your chaste and respectful behavior. It's the hidden person of the heart. The hidden person of the heart, in contrast 
to the externals and also the wife who is constantly talking, nagging, arguing, pecking at his husband. Now, I know you don't want to hear this if you're a wife. But Proverbs was written for families and for families to function in a godly manner. Three times, Proverbs 21.9, verse 19, and another verse, it says that... Uh, actually, let me just read Proverbs 21.9. Um, it's, it's cautioning women or wives and also informing husbands about what a tendency will be for sinful wives. 21.9, it is better to live in the corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious or some translations say a vexing woman, like the dripping faucet, constantly nagging. A hundred husbands surveyed. Top three answers on the board. What is it that your wife does that irritates you to no end? She's a nag. I didn't make that up. That's a statistic given. Always being nagged by my wife. And that is the testimony of the book of Proverbs, that something, a tendency of a wife, sinful wife, will be to constantly nag with words. And that's exactly what Peter's saying. It's not your words, it's your godly behavior, your godly attitude that's going to win your husband over, whether he's an unbeliever or just a sinful Christian husband, the hidden person of the heart. And I know that's hard for women because, it's again, there's another difference between men and women and the way God made men and women. Even secular psychologists and sociologists, and I think accurately have assessed that women are more verbal than men, generally speaking. Wouldn't you say that's true? Women speak 10,000 words a day and men speak 5,000 words a day, they tell us. And that's very suitable and makes sense because the woman is to be the nurturer of her children, giving verbal, ongoing care and verbal nurture to her children. That's part of her role. That's a God-given design, ordained of God. And then that ability to speak many words can also be distorted by sin, right? And then it becomes nagging, according to the book of Proverbs. So this is a major area where wives are going to have to rein that in. You're not going to win your husband over with words. He's going to interpret it in a different way. One thing I want to say about this word submit, we dealt with this word earlier when it says, wives, submit to your own husbands. Very important. Hupotasso. It means it, was, it came out of the military primarily, military term. But it means a willful relinquishing of one's rights to another person. So it's a willful relinquishing. You're, so when you get married, wife... You're letting go of the reins of control to your husband. And you're giving the reins of control to your husband saying, you are the leader of my home. You are the overseer of our home. You are the overseer of our relationship. I willingly give you control as the leader. That's what the word submit means. Very important. The word submit does not mean obey. I have literally heard marriage vows written out that way, telling the wife, and the wife has to say, I will obey my husband. The Bible does not say that. Those are two very distinct different words. Go back to Ephesians 5. Look at it. Ephesians 5, verse 22, and then again in verse um, 24, subject, the, the word subject or submit, hupotasso, is a different word than Ephesians 6, 1, where it says, children, obey your parents. It doesn't say, children, submit to your parents. It's obey them. This is a totally different relationship. Children are supposed to obey their parents. There is no option. There is no discussion. There is no committee. There is no talking it through whether I should take out the trash or make my bed or not. Mommy, daddy said take out the trash. You obey. You comply. You ob Why? Because it pleases God. Because you're a child. Even in the slave-master, really, employer-employee relationship, same thing, verse 5. Slaves, 
Obey your master. Employees, obey your boss. You entered into that relationship. He's paying you money. You take order from him. He is in charge. You don't argue with the boss or say, no, I don't think so. Oh, I'll get to it later. Oh, if I feel like it, then you get fired. It's obey. So the word obey used two times in those two relationships. So that's to tell us or to remind us, husbands, that your wife is not a child and she's not supposed to be treated like a child. She is not a slave or a servant. She is not your employee. Like I said, she is not a doormat. As Peter reminded us, she is a co-heir in the grace of life. She is a peer, a partner in marriage that complements you as the head of the home. You treat her in love accordingly. And you serve your wife. And we're going to see that for the next couple of weeks in the obligation of the husband. So uh, the wife is not somebody for the husband to boss around and dictate and tell her everything she should be doing. That isn't what submit means. That means that the wife is willfully submitting leadership to her husband, trusting that he will protect, provide, nurture, serve, and lead her as God best sees fits if the husband is a believer. And she submits to that. And it goes against her nature to do that. And she needs the grace of God to do it successfully. She's dependent upon the Holy Spirit to do it. Which reminds me in the context, do you remember we read Ephesians 5, 18? 1, 2, 3, 4 verses before 5, 22. There is only one way that a Christian wife can properly submit to her husband in a regular, ongoing manner the way God is asking them to do. Because it goes against our very nature. Is You've got to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit of God who lives in you, Christian wife. Ephesians 5.18, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. That is the only way that a Christian wife can in a regular, ongoing manner submit to her sinful husband by God's grace and the Holy Spirit moving in her life in obedience to Scripture. Because you've got to submit to your husband whether you feel like it or not. Emotions have nothing to do with it. So that's the mandate, to submit. Willfully relinquishing... Right. That's what Jesus, when He came down, when He came down from heaven, that's what He did. He relinquished His rights, equal rights He had with the Father. He relinquished them and submitted Himself to obey the Father every step He took for 33 years in this life as the suffering servant. As Paul said, he abandoned his riches and became poverty-stricken in terms of who he was. Also, this mandate for submission, what does submit mean? It also has to do with your attitude in the heart. You've got to submit in the heart. That's where everything flows, doesn't it? If you have non-submissive words, it's flowing out of a non-submissive heart. If you've got non-submissive actions, it's coming out of your heart. It starts with the heart, the attitude, humility. That is the mandate. Wives, you must submit. Number nine, the manner of submission. Three times, three little phrases Paul gives that are helpful. He says in Ephesians 5.22, as to the Lord. All that means is in a way that pleases the Lord. Submit to your husband in a way that pleases the Lord. And the bigger picture actually, and there's a similar phrase in Colossians 3 where it says as unto the Lord, submit to your husband as though you are submitting to Jesus himself. Because that's what Paul tells uh, the Colossians. Submit to your employer or your boss even if he's a lousy boss because ultimately it is the Lord Jesus Christ you serve, not that human master. So submit to your husband as though you're submitting to the Lord Jesus Himself and to God because it pleases God as unto the Lord. Also, regarding the manner of how we submit, Ephesians 5.24, Paul says, as the church is subject to Christ. The same way that the church submits itself to Christ in a regular, ongoing manner, so also the wife should submit to her husband. So that is the manner. That's a model for you to follow. It's based on divine order. And also, the scope of it the manner of submission, in everything, he says at the end of verse 25. Submit to your husband, your own husband, in everything. 
That means a lot of different things. It means in every area of life. It means in the general direction of your home, your philosophy of how you raise your children, your philosophy of disciplining your children, your philosophy of how you're going to educate your children, your philosophy of entertainment, sports. I mean, it just covers every area of life. You need to submit to your husband and hopefully the husband is providing leadership in every area of your family life because he needs to be. And the wife is supposed to submit in every area of life to the husband. And what this means is, hopefully, since you're joint heirs and the wife is the perfect complement to the husband, that there's always ongoing discussion and prayer mutually with one another as husband and wife. As a matter of fact, I have never, that I can recall, in 18 years of marriage, made a major decision regarding our family or that it impacted our marriage and our children and our family without consulting my wife talking about my, with my wife, praying about it, and I've never made a decision that she wasn't in agreement with. And we've moved several times to different states, to different churches, to different jobs, and I would never think of making a decision without 100% support, feedback, prayer, interaction from my wife. But ultimately, the buck stops with me as the head of the home, and I have to make the final decision, and I am accountable to God for that decision which should be a relief for her as my wife. That burden, that onus of responsibility is not on her shoulders. It is on mine. And gladly so, because that's why God made us as leaders of our home. So in everything, in every area, also in everything can hint at that, wife, you need to submit to your husband without any excuses. In everything, regardless of what's going on, regardless if he is a jerk or he has bad habits or he is sinful or you don't think he deserves your respect, it doesn't matter. In everything, submit to your husband. That's the manner of submission. And then finally, there's the motive for submission. The motive. Why should the wife submit to her husband anyway? And that's verse 23, 5.23. Paul says, because, or for, that's what for means, because the husband is the head of the wife. The reason you're supposed to submit to your husband is because God made him the head of your home. He's your head. It's pure and simple. That's it. He's the leader. He's in charge. He's the coach. Well, why is he the quarterback of the team? Why is he the starting quarterback of the team? Well, because the coach made that decision and made him the quarterback of the team. And then everybody else on the team is just, they're supposed to comply because that's the decision that the coach made and the coach is the ordained authority of making that decision. The same thing in the marriage that God designed. God made the husband in this lifetime as we know it for a time the husband is to be the head of the home in this lifetime. That's why you submit to him as the head. God made it so. Will it always be that way? No. What happens when you die 50 years from now, 100 years from now? Are you and your husband or you and your spouse going to be reunited in heaven, holding hands and be husband and wife in heaven? No, absolutely not. Jesus said no. Actually, there's a, a better way, a better life in the afterlife. There aren't marriages, Jesus said. There isn't going to be marriage in heaven. But there's, it's going to be taken to the next level in terms of intimacy and knowing other people at a deeper level. We will be married to somebody in heaven, and that is the church will be married to Christ, right? He will be our husband for all eternity. That's a glorious thing. So marriage really is just temporary in this life, and it's really a metaphor for a greater reality for eternal life. The church married to Christ. So there is no marriage in heaven. Somebody asked, well, can I still chase my wife around for all eternity? Uh, sure, I guess. You think she's that cute in heaven? Go ahead. So the motive for submission, the main motive is that God designed it that way. That's the order he structured. He made man the head of the wife. And also Christ also is the head of the church because Christ, like I said, that's looking to the greater model. Every marriage, man and wife, actually is just a, in microcosm a picture of the greater relationship of Christ over the church. So you're, 
so that's a great motive as to why you as a Christian wife should submit to your husband because you are a walking, living metaphor and as a testimony to the world, especially unbelieving people, especially unbelieving relatives you have in your family. They're looking at your marriage. They should see something different, something distinct, an intimacy they've never seen before, harmony they have never seen before, something beautiful, something supernatural. It makes them long for your relationship as husband and wife after this model. The wife is submitting regularly to the leadership of her husband. It flies in the face of everything we get in our culture today and everything we're hearing. But it is a picture of Christ's relationship with the church. That's the greater picture. There is no higher motive for the wife to submit to her husband than for that reason alone. The great testimony that it can be to the watching world. Well, I want to close with this. Um, Just a challenge to Christian wives, if you'll listen to me. Again, the same question I started out with. Christian wife, do you want a fulfilling, blessed, God-honoring, holy marriage, growing marriage, healthy marriage? Then just simplify it. Simplify it. Distill it down to these principles. Then memorize Ephesians 5.22-24 and 1 Peter 3 and commit it to memory. That should be your favorite verse in the Bible. Not mine, but yours. Meditate on the the meaning of that verse regularly, daily if you are married, if you're a wife. Wife, also pray asking God to change you in light of those passages. Ask God to make you a submissive wife in attitude, action, words. Ask your husband to pray for you in this regard to make you a more godly, submissive wife. These are risky things, aren't they? These are challenging. Some of you may have never done this in your married relationship. You don't talk at this level. So I'm challenging you to do it. Ask your husband to pray for you to be a more submissive wife. Believe me, your husband will pray for you. Confess your sins to your husband in light of times you haven't been submissive. When's the last time you did that? Ask your kids to pray for you in this regard. You know, the way you live your life, it has an impact on your children. Many times it's detrimental to your children. It could mess up your children. Ask your children to pray for you in your marriage. And as a mommy, ask them to pray that you would have a submissive attitude towards your husband, towards daddy. And then finally, pray yourself. Ask for the Holy Spirit to help you, as Ephesians 5.18 says, knowing you can't do this on your own. It's against human inclination. It's against our very sin nature. It's against the culture in which we live. We are dependent upon upon God's grace and the Holy Spirit living inside of us to give us this attitude to fulfill a supernatural, impossible mandate. But it's very simple. Well, go ahead and let's commit our time to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to do these very things, uh, working in our lives, working in our marriages, so that Grace Bible Fellowship will have a solid foundation because of the solid marriages that it's built upon. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. God, it just is always so practical and relevant. Thank you for this this hard truth. Today, pray for every woman in our congregation, whether they're married or not, wherever they are in life, that you would impress upon them your expectations. And God, give them the grace to fulfill it through the Holy Spirit through the accountability of friends in the church and because of your grace and your mercy. And I just commit every woman of God, every young lady of God into your care that you'd watch over them. And uh, we look look forward to how you're going to work in our marriages and in our lives so we can keep growing in dependence upon you. And 
just commit all these things to you. We thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen.